So you know that it's autumn when everything you buy has pumpkin spice in it. We have pumpkin-flavored lattes and milkshakes, pumpkin-flavored Oreos, uh, pumpkin-flavored M&Ms. Even Peeps have made an appearance again. Uh, pumpkin-flavored Peeps, pumpkin-flavored frosted mini-wheats and bagels, even pumpkin-scented body wash. <laughs> now, I don't know who would want to smell like pumpkin, but I guess for that se segment of the population that wants to, there it is, pumpkin body wash. You know it's autumn when corn is being harvested, apples are picked, birds and monarch butterflies head south, spiders build webs. For some reason, the webs just really multiply in the fall. People start wearing sweaters, jackets, things of that nature. So that is to say, in, in your outline, Roman numeral one, letter A, life is governed by God's seasons. God determines the seasons. He puts the lights in the sky, the sun and the moon and the stars to tell time and to, to govern the day and the night, the seasons of the year. Solomon wrote, to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose of God under heaven. Letter B, this is from 1 Peter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. The end is at hand. Literally, that means it's arrived. It's here. When John the Baptist would preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it didn't mean it's nearby, it's, it's going to get here soon. It's already here. It's present. It's here and it remains. It continues on among us. Scripture teaches that we're living in the end times. We've been living in the end times for the last 2,000 years. My wife Harriet was talking to a couple of her friends, um, non-Lutheran friends who were really concerned. They're buying up... Um, uh, survivalist type food and everything they think that we are near the return of the Lord well the scripture teaches the return of the Lord is imminent it's at any moment we've been living in the end times the last 2,000 years Christ has fulfilled prophecy there's nothing yet to be done except the return of the Lord to be accomplished that's it nothing else stands in God's way the end of all things is at hand Peter writes therefore Therefore, because of that, be self-controlled and sober-minded, etc., etc. We live differently in autumn than we do in summer. We wear different clothing in autumn. We participate in different activities in autumn. Seasons influence what we do. We're living in the end time, and when you believe that, it affects you. You live differently. 1 Peter 4.17, just a few verses beyond our second reading, says this. Peter writes, It's time for judgment to begin with the family of God, with us. God will deal with us first before he deals with the unbelieving world. And if the judgment begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Well, you know what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God. Condemnation, eternal death. 
Now, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm a child of God. But when I look back on my own past and consider the things I've said wrong and I've done wrong, it, makes me, it still makes me cringe. It makes me cringe. It, it makes me say, I'm through with that life. I, I've done enough back then that I want to live differently from this point forward. I don't want to go back to that and the hurt, the pain. So that's Roman numeral one in your outline, the urgency of our stewardship. We've come to the end of, of earth. We should live differently. Roman numeral two, the substance of our stewardship. Verse 10 from 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles or words of God. In other words, when we speak to one another, we're to speak as God would speak. If they've wandered from the Lord, if they refuse to repent, in love we need to speak a warning. That's what we call law. If they repent, we speak God's forgiveness and comfort to them. We call that the gospel. So letter A, our most important giving is verbal. It's verbal. The most important stewardship is the stewardship of our words, our speech. Point number one, Christianity is a word-based religion. It's word-based. It's not feeling-based. It's not based on visions. It's words. God says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He doesn't say, look at this, O Israel, or consult your feelings, O Israel. Other religions do that. Other religions may stress visions or experiences or silent meditation as a way of contacting God. But Christianity insists on language, words. Point number two, relationships are impossible without words. Have you ever noticed that if you avoid someone, if you try to avoid saying anything to them, you see them, you go the other way, you don't make con any contact with them. Have you ever noticed that the relationship heads south really fast? When words are no longer spoken between people, suspicion and mistrust grow. Relationships become distant. Helen Keller was rendered blind and deaf as the result of a serious infection when she was only 19 months old. She lived in a world of silence, darkness, and isolation from others, including her own family. She lived that way until she learned language. She learned to communicate with others through finger spelling. And later she learned to communicate by placing her fingers on the lips of the speaker and by the sense of touch she could read lips she learned to do that 
Now, all of that's just another way of saying that words opened up the world to her. Let her be. Words are powerful. King Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. He wrote, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And yet, we tend to think very little of words. We think words are unimportant. We say things like, talk is cheap, or actions speak louder than words, or walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. Now, we speak that way for good reason, because all too often, we don't live up to our words. All too often, we don't keep our own promises, we fail to fulfill our own vows. We are the ones who give words a bad name by our own failure to do what we say. Now, contrast that with God. God's words are powerful because he backs them up. He keeps his word. He fulfills his promises. There is no distance at all between what God says and what he does. Therefore, God's words are powerful. Point number one, the gospel is God's power to save. St. Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. God declares you, he speaks you righteous in Christ. That's what he calls you righteous for the sake of your faith in his son. It's not the result of works, it's the result of what he says based on your faith. And point number two, the gospel is God's power to do good works. It's God's power to enable Christian living. Peter writes, whoever serves, this is verse 11b, whoever serves as by the strength that God supplies. And that strength comes from the good news, the promises of God in the gospel. As St. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, not, not on the basis of the law, but on the basis of the gospel, the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual worship. It flows out of the gospel, not out of the law. Letter C, we give what our family needs most when we speak God's oracles, God's utterances, God's words to them. From our first reading, God says, the words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. That is to say, God's word is to be taught conversationally, not just in a formal class. It takes place there too, but not primarily in class. It takes place primarily in the home. In other words, all of life, daily life, is a classroom for instruction in the word. I say this because it's true. I say this a lot. Life is about one thing and one thing only. It's about relationships between you and God and between you and significant others. That's all of life. Life has to do with little else 
but building, maintaining, and rebuilding relationships. And that's why God's word is so relevant to all of life. It deals with the most basic issues of life, love and, and forgiveness and reconciliation. Point number one, Harriet and I teach people not to say, I'm sorry, but forgive me. Now, there's really nothing wrong with saying I'm sorry. It's better than saying nothing. But forgive me takes responsibility. You know, I was wrong, forgive me. And then in response to say, I forgive you. You know, God forgives you and I do too. St. Paul writes, forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. That is to say, family arguments, as bad as they are, are really an opportunity to share God's love in Christ. That's the good that God brings out of the argument, the dispute. It's the reconciliation of God in Christ. It's God's gift to us. Point number two, the gospel should always be the last word at home. Now, St. Paul wrote, the law is our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law shows us our sin so that we see our need for the cross of Christ. And once a family member acknowledges his or her sin, the law no longer applies. The law no longer speaks to that person. No more accusation, no more warnings, no more condemnation, that individual who's repentant and believing should hear no other message than the gospel of our Savior. Only forgiveness should be spoken to that person. Only comfort should be given to that person. Nothing else applies. Point number three. The one and only request we can truly make of another person is simply this, hear the word of the Lord. I like to say I can't ask any more of someone than that. If, if you will simply, or if, if it doesn't matter who it is, if they will simply hear the word of the Lord, everything else follows from that. Everything else follows. I can't transform another heart. You can't transform mine. But God's word can. God's word does. And then point number three, Roman number three. The purpose of our stewardship whether it's of words or finances or time, the purpose is to glorify God through Jesus Christ or, or to point others to God through Jesus Christ. We point others to God by pointing them to Jesus. He's the way to the Father, right? Christ-centeredness. You don't get to the Father by leapfrogging over Jesus. That leads you to the devil. We're called to manage many things that we've received from the Lord, including our time, treasure, and talent. But the most important gift, my friends, that we've received is the gospel itself. The good news that we have a gracious, loving, forgiving God in Jesus Christ. We are stewards of the gospel, and we steward it to one another at home and elsewhere. Paul writes, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, I don't know what your conversations at home are like, but I will assume that all of us could, uh, could use a little more of God's voice at home. And when you initiate Christ-centered devotions at home, you have become God's voice to 
to your family. When your son or daughter is going through a difficult time and, and you stop and you say, let's take a moment and pray about this. You become as one who speaks as God. When you say to someone, as God has forgiven me in Christ, so I forgive you. You are the voice of God to that person. When someone you love is facing death and terrors of conscience overwhelm them, and you remind them that Jesus awaits them, the same Jesus who removed their sins at the cross, the same Jesus whom the grave could not hold, when you speak that way, you become God's mouth to that individual. My friends, we are stewards of the gospel, whether we realize it or not. And we are called to be God's voice in many places, including the most important place on earth, your home. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.